All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne. It's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices, keeping people at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I am super excited. I've got someone on the show that definitely speaks the language of this show and is going to push our minds, or I should say guide our minds to whole new levels of curiosity and excitement. And that person is Scott. He's a globally recognized expert in curiosity, a speaker, and the author of Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. He is, a renowned, he is renowned for translating research into strategies that promote positive well-being and meaningful relationships worldwide. Who are you? Well, I'm a curious person, definitely. <laughs> like that would be, yeah, I'm a very curious person. I love to explore, you know, parts of myself, parts of the world. Um, you know, I'm also someone that like takes things and turns them into new things. Like when I was a kid, I like, you know, turned this big cardboard box and like literally had it for a year and it became like a spaceship. It became the stage for like theater productions. And, yeah. you know, similarly, my dad and I, we created a tree house using old pallets, like food pallets that we got from Safeway um, that the manager there, and you know, I'm from Hawaii, um, generously, you know, gave to us. And we like built this two story tree house. It was incredible. He, he's a, you know, an amazing builder. He, he was a roofer, mm. you know, for his life. Um, for his occupation. And so he, that was one way of sort of like, you know, creating a space for me out in the trees. I felt like when I climbed up to the top, I could see the entire island, you know, <laughs> but yeah. it was probably like seven feet or six feet in real life. But yeah, I think I am just a very optimistic person. I, I'm joyful. Um, actually, that's been a hard, you know, I've had to learn in my life that you know, I use it sometimes. I used it sometimes as a disassociative sort of mechanism to push away negative emotions that I was feeling. But I am naturally optimistic and like a positive person. So it was a little bit hard to figure that out. I think people can feel that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not alone in that. I've definitely met a lot of people who do that uh, similar thing, um, especially, you know, holler to the, the sevens on the Enneagrams up there. I think we tend to do that a lot. Um, so, um, yeah. And I am, um, I mean, I'm a Leo. <laughs> like, I, don't know, like I, 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 you know, I, that's one of the big reasons why I moved out to Joshua Tree. That's where I wrote the book. Um, I lived there for a number of years. I, you know, I, I, I love just being in nature. That's obviously from growing up in Hawaii and, and having a, a deep connection to the Aina, to the land. And, um, just culturally, you know, being someone that's come to Aina and being so humbled and um, uh, lucky to be immersed in the Kanaka Maoli, like Native Hawaiian, like culture that was around me and learning from peers and, and you know, friends and, and kumus and teachers, you know, even though I'm not, you know, Hawaiian, um, you know, that was really, that just really embedded the sense of like deep connection to nature in my heart. Mm. And so, yeah, Joshua Tree was just a similar thing for me, just like walking out of my house and literally I would walk for hours. I, I just would just like walk into the mountains. I could close my eyes and draw the mountains without even looking because I had seen them every day for hours. Um, that was like my process writing the book. I would just like wake up, have my coffee like go out into the desert. It was very like idyllic and then kind of like have imposter syndrome, freak out, be like, why can't I write anything on the page and go back out in the <laughs> desert and then be like, oh, that's what I need to write about and then come back on the page and start writing. So I have this deep wow. uh, connection with nature. And then, you know, I realized that um, 
I have to be in reciprocity with nature. That was a big sort of insight. It was like, I would always come back. Why don't I have the answer from nature? Like I should, like it should be able to, I should put something on the page. And then I realized, oh, it's because I'm not giving anything to nature. And so I'm not giving back to this land. And so once I started to sort of shift my mindset and be in reciprocity with land, um, you know, the pages started to flow. But yeah, so I, I have yeah, so many curious. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's so like who questions. I am in a, nut, in a nutshell, I guess. It's a little that's, tease of who I am. Yeah, <laughs> so, so that's a beautiful, beautiful response. I have to ask about Joshua Tree specifically because. Uh, so I've I've been to Joshua Tree once, and the first time was uh, January of this year. Oh, and I it was a beautiful experience, but I I I didn't know what to expect other than just seeing photos and and hearing you know different stories and whatnot. And I I came back, and the way I described Joshua Tree to friends and family was it's bizarre, like mm-hmm. in every for me it was everything yeah. in, in a good th- in a good way, but like totally. Even the Joshua trees, I'm like, they're strange looking, like everything yeah. feels a bit off, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 again, in a good way. And then you can feel that energetically and, and so forth. So I'm curious to write your book in that setting uh, outside of what you just shared. But like, what did what did the setting give you, you know, in, in terms of helping you with that process? And yeah. am I off? Am I completely off? <laughs> out and left no, here with that, I mean, that energy feeling? I think that anytime we feel, you know, and you're talking to someone who is queer, right? So, like, I definitely understand, you know, that experience of like being in a space or being with someone where it feels unfamiliar and it feels like maybe there's a sense of like um, almost foreignness or out of worldness, even though it's yeah. on, it's on the same planet and we are all here together. And I think that's actually a good thing. Like, that's what I, you know believe is what we need to be most curious is when we feel those feelings come up for us discomfort when we feel a sense of uh, this looks and feels strange you know many times people turn away within curiosity they're like oh i don't want to like deal with strangeness like you're different like i want to be in the comfort of my bubble where i know and i um, you know, familiar with everything. Yeah, you know, but here. there's good strange out there that but I there's felt good strange. exactly, and that that's that's sort of exactly where I'm going with this is like, you know, but actually, strangeness means that it's something new that you're opening your heart and your your mind to. Um, it means that there's so much there that it has to show you. It means that there's tremendous growth that awaits for you there. Um, I know you go to men's uh, retreats, like. Joshua Tree in that area is like a big place for that. Um, it's yeah, it's, I can imagine. And it makes sense. You have these. It's archetypal. You know, it's an archetype of a landscape that you know the alchemists and other kinds of books of like journeys that people go on and and finding yourself. I mean, the desert isn't actually. It's full of life. A lot of people think it's just like desolate and barren and without life. It's actually full of life when you live there and you really, really see it. Both culturally, the high desert and its people. Um, which is a super diverse group and population. But the land itself is just like extremely full of life. But I think it's it's also at the same time, paradoxically, it's like this blank can. It's it's so barren mm-hmm. that, you know, you're all you're left with is like remembering the person that's with you for the entire journey of your life, which is you. So and, you know, as you and I are both people who love to go inward and love to explore the inner world you know, having the desert as the outer world is such a helpful facilitator for that, right? And yeah. so that's what the book is. The book is truly, for me at least, um, when, you know, it's really about going inward in order to then, you know, put something onto the page, you know? And, and 
you know, I have to do all of that work inside of myself emotionally, you know, think about the stories, you know, un unearth my own perspectives and really figure out like, what is it that I want to say? Not what I think other people want me to say, which is like hard because Very when we're hard. like marketing and communications and like, mm -hmm. it's always like, know your audience, write to your audience too, you know, and then you have people in, you know, in even as you're writing a book, it's like, remember your audience, write to your audience. But for me, the most important thing you can do is to write for yourself, like to write for what you, you know, like what, what feels truly genuine, genuine to you. And, and by doing that, actually, yes, it might repel some people because you're not like writing for everyone, but there will be a group of people that are going to so resonate with what you're saying. They're like, oh my gosh, you're like really speaking to me. You know, that's what I did when I wrote that, that part of the book about me hearing voices after, you know, going on a psychedelic experience in the desert and mm -hmm. having auditory hallucinations. Like, I don't think that's like a shared experience that many people will have, but I've already know from my advanced readers, like people have come up to me and said, you know, that struck a chord with me for so many different reasons. And that again is like affirming this idea that we have to write um, from ourselves. So, so yeah, the deserts, the deserts, a beautiful, incredible, strange place. And and I love that it's strange and that people feel that way because I'm like, yes, that is an indication. You need to be more curious about it because there's something here that it has to teach you. Yeah. And it definitely was true for me. I can imagine. I mean, in, in interesting, you, you know, bring up the men's group or the men's work. And because I, that, that was one of the, the initial thoughts that kind of surfaced while I was out there. I was out there for another reason, but I thought like, wow, wouldn't it be, it'd be pretty incredible to do an experience like that out here because it's, it, you feel like you're already a few steps in just yeah. by the setting, right? Like you're already, you've already asked almost like without asking, you've asked the surface level questions already yeah. and you're, you're kind of midway through to getting to the, the real core of things mm -hmm. just from the surrounding environment. And that's, I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff, right? Yeah, totally. It also makes you really reckon with our changing climate. I mean, <laughs> it's just like water is just like a big present element in the desert um there are some sources of water but it really helps you to get attuned to like where is our water coming from this yeah. life source that powers everything and you know when you start thinking and getting curious in that way you start to build a relationship with land and with water again which is something that i think a lot of people have become disconnected from yeah. um and so that that was a really i'm so grateful that i was out there for a couple of years because um, and actually was there in January. So I'm wondering if we crossed paths oh, wow. and like saw each other without even noticing, right? Because I I just recently moved from there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's such a special place. I I now do author residencies there at the the home that I like bought and lived in. And so, you know, authors now come and they like stay there for free so and they cool. get to write their books, which is really cool. Um, I have an author sitting there right now, actually. Um, so that feels really nourishing for my soul to be able to sort of like give that same experience back to yeah. you know, people who are were in my position or are in my position um today so you, so. you had you had mentioned earlier about forming this more balanced i guess relationship with the land and that's when yeah. you know when you're you're able to give back i guess to to the land that you were on then you know the the words started to really flow and the pages you, you know were progressing nicely what what did that look like like what Practically speaking, how did you go through that process? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, there's many ways to, you know, be mindful um, and in connection with, you know, nature. 
Um, you know, and, and I learned this really growing up in Hawaii, the Aloha spirit, like it's not just take to take, it's really about giving and that generosity of spirit. And so one is just like being in relationship with land, being aware of life around you and the land that is around you, acknowledging that they're there is so important. I mean, like think about people, right? When we just acknowledge people and we extend our curiosity towards them and we ask them questions. What does that do? That helps people feel seen, heard, valued, like they matter as a person, that their stories, that their personhood, that matters, they're humanized, right? And the same is true for nature, right? We have to do that same acknowledgement. We have to, that is literally like how I interpret land acknowledgement. It's like this land, I acknowledge you and I acknowledge the, you know, indigenous people in which this land, you know, was sort of cared for by and in relationship yeah. with, right? So, so that is really key for me personally is like acknowledge that it is there. Um, it's harder to do that in a city, but you can still do it. You know, you can still find ways to acknowledge it, even in like the midst of New York City, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, get educated about the land and deep and deepen your understanding of it in a more nuanced way. Again, same issue for people, right? The deeper questions you ask, the more you learn about their stories, your values get beneath the surface. You really start to connect with people in this way that's no longer at the surface level. Just like your opening question on all your podcast episodes. It's such a great way. And 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 people kind of fumble and stumble sometimes because they aren't asked that question often, right? And that's a good thing, actually. Again, it's that strangeness, that discomfort that helps people to grow. Same is true for land like learn about soil, learn about how to regenerate it, learn about what plants actually are, you know, sort of naturally in your ecosystem and how that supports other life in, in that area. Um, you know, I, I would go to these really cool, you know, places like the Harrison house, um, which is really close to where I lived back there. Um, it's like a nonprofit. They do a bunch of like perma desert permaculture classes. They teach you how to build homes in the, in sort of, okay. um, using mud and natural materials, you know, like, to get really connected, using your hands again, like that's really, really powerful. And then, um, you know, I think the third for me personally is to, you know, tell stories about the land and to reconnect people to the land. Like that mm. is my work. You know, so for some people, it's like actually doing regenerative farming or like actually yeah. doing like, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, restore, you know, I, have, I just met someone who is like saving, you know, tons of redwood forests, you know, from lumber companies in Northern California. I mean, just that's like really important work. And there, but not everyone can do that work. Um, everyone has their lane and their path. And for me, it's elevate the stories of land, you know, get people back out into it. Um, and, you know, I think that's the way that I can contribute, you know. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So do you think that just thinking of your own personal experience by going through asking those questions, doing the research and kind of immersing yourself in the land that in a way, because it, it feels like you're, when you're writing or working on a big project that takes a lot of mental capacity and you're pulling yeah. stuff out of your mind, it's like you almost want to clean up and clear out your mind in a way to yeah. make room for, you know, the associations to come up that you're writing about and so forth. But in this case, you're kind of, you're putting in inputs, but in a way yeah. that is so intentional that I feel like it almost is like organizing your mind and 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 inspiring some of these different prompts and different stories and associations and, and whatnot yeah. in the structure of the book to like really surface. Yeah. Yeah. I think like everyone that hasn't written a book or not everyone, that's very absolute. It's like some people that haven't written a book who I've talked to, they're like, 
oh my gosh, like how did you, like you, Scott, I, individual, like write this book? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Okay, I'm just going to stop you there because <laughs> writing a book is a team effort, truly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I, you know, I literally have not just my ancestors, my family, my mentors who are just like kind of like that scene in Reservation Dogs where like they're all behind you and just like, you know, and yeah. as you're, you know, there's that, but there's also like just legitimate people who are helping you to write the book along the yeah. journey. My editor, Hannah, you know, Lauren and Aaron, who were, you know, co-conspirers and co my sort of writing coaches, you know, uh, my agent, Jackie even got on the page there. You know, there's so many people that help to write the book, plus your advanced readers, like scientific folks, you know, so I'm always like, no, it's not one person. This is a huge team effort. And I like to tell people, it, it goes back to that whole thing I wrote in the book about embrace your inner mushroom. Like mushrooms are, you know, nature's decomposers. They, you know, take toxic matter from the soil and they can transform them into nutrients that serve the ecosystems. But they mm. also can't do everything, right? They can't photosynthesize, yeah. for instance, right? So that's why they create these really beneficial <clears throat> relationships um, with trees. You know, they, you know, trees can photosynthesize. It can turn that carbon into sugar. And then they, cr and they create these beautiful through the mycelial networks underground that we can't see, you know, they have this beautiful, like reciprocal relationships with one another. And that's kind of like what writing a book is like, you know, there's so much like people won't see that's under the soil mm -hmm. where we're just kind of like sending and receiving and, you know, you know, getting things that, and, and, and learning things in interviews that we could never have experienced ourselves and that we're giving things back. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful sort of unseen process and then what emerges from that is this like delicious mushroom that people get to enjoy you know but they don't necessarily see everything that's underneath the soil that happens to to fruit that body so um yeah i mean that's sort of sort of how i you know think about it it's not just like it's not just me it's not just i it's like this is like really a team effort i don't yeah. know if that really answers the question oh yeah but no, for sure <laughs> so. for sure well, I do. I mean, I kind of, I got too excited and I, I skipped ahead a little <laughs> bit and just kind of followed my own curiosity on this one. But I do want to back up a bit and, and kind of start from, you know, like how, yeah. how does one go from living out of their car for a mm -hmm. year and showering at Planet Fitnesses yeah. to landing, you know, a pretty reputable book deal with Hatchet. And I mean, you're working on a whole bunch of other pretty cool media projects and video series and so mm -hmm. forth, not to mention your work at at the university and stuff like that. Like how, how did that all, how did you get here? Yeah. 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 Also the showers at Planet Fitness are great. I'm not even sponsored by them. Okay. <laughs> Y'all like, it's just like, that was like a legit, like hashtag YouTube van life kind of recommendation. Yeah. I can recommend that. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, so, um, yeah, my, my sort of like, everyone's born with curiosity, but it's, you know, like you and I, I think we have a very special attunement and have like really brought it into our, our lives and our careers. Um, I've certainly have, you know, as a journalist, I, you know, as a music reporter at the Washington Post, I, you know, that's really about the, the power of asking questions and sitting in relationship with different kinds of musicians and um, people who are, you know, and I think music is one of the most universal, you know, unifying, yeah. you know, elements we have in the world. It's so incredible and powerful uh, and palpable. Um, to, you know, I ran music festivals and I designed immersive theater experiences. And these, you know, I had no training in this. I didn't go to theater school. I didn't like learn how to run music festivals. You know what I mean? I volunteered <laughs> at them. I like, you know, worked on some of them, but you know, it's just, I followed my curiosity and, 
you know, anytime I got interested about things, I just like made it work. And, you know, I, you know, could, you know, I'm not independently wealthy. So like, sometimes I meant also like working at Ruby Tuesdays or doing like photography, like side gigs or like doing whatever I could to just like stay afloat in the world, yeah. in this capitalistic world. And then, um, yeah. And then I started to, um, during 2016, especially I was working at this job in the Bay. I'd moved to the Bay for love. Um, not for a person in particular, I was just like, wow, I'm coming into my thirties. I should probably like start dating. (laughs) So, um, and Iceland is great, but you know, it's 330,000 people. I was living there at the time running a music festival and an artist residency. And I was like, there is a great thriving queer community, but it's very small. And also, you know, it just, it just didn't feel like the place where I was going to forever land my roots, even though I was there in 2014 and 2015, but, uh, moved to the Bay and I was working in this corporate job and I was using my curiosity a lot uh, at this design firm. It was great, but I then was looking out at the world and it felt so incongruent to what I was doing in my job, my nine to five job. And like everything that was exploding around us, like the climate <laughs> crisis, geopolitical crises, you know, a, 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 an epidemic of social isolation and loneliness um, you know, racial inequities and, and, and immense, um, you know, indigenous suffering and, you know, mm-hmm. but also like beautiful solutions that were happening in those same communities because they're not just narratives of struggle and suffering too. And, and I was like, why am I not like there, like really like creating the change that I want to see? Because that's it, when I'm not doing that, it makes me feel really hopeless. It makes me feel despair. And then I'm not actually acting out on anything that I'm reading in the news. I'm just further like hiding in a hole and feeling, you know, icky. Um, so mm-hmm. 2016 was happening. Or it was 2016 around then. The presidential elections were happening. And in my families and communities, um, I was just feeling all of this division and disconnection from the presidential elections. And this sort of just light bulb moment happened. And it was like, I need, this is, this is like, this is what I really need to get curious about this. Because I was seeing just people blocking and like throwing hate at one another and othering one another and like relationships with family members and like loved ones ending, like siblings that I, I met people where siblings were no longer talking to each other because they had different views on who they were voting yeah. for president. And I was just like, I know what that feels like to be othered. I grew up, you know, queer. I was bullied often in middle school. I like, like in a very intense way. And I just like don't want that for anyone like it is it is such an isolating and hard experience and sometimes you feel and i felt this the only path out of that is like to exert your own violence or your own dominance you know what i mean so you know it's it's not a healthy or loving place to operate from and so i was like i want to plant a seed and you know and and just try to help people feel like they really matter that they're really seen that they're not alone and i want to do this in this in, in you know in this like sort of moment of division and polarization that we're going through but i was like if i'm going to do that i need to a really understand how to have like a positive impact not just like do it willy-nilly and just like yeah. go for the best so that's why i got really deeply invested in the research um and started working at uc berkeley sort of good science center um uh, on how do we actually bridge our differences in healthy ways and what can we learn from the science of psychology but B, I had to go out there and do it because I also didn't want to be just like in an ivory tower of academia, like never actually practicing any of these skills. So I was like, I need to go to a Trump rally. I need to go back to a church. I need to go to Appalachia in the rural South. Yeah. And I need to live there. And I need to like 
be real about who I am and use some of these tools and uh, tools of curiosity to build relationships. So that's what I did. Yeah. Oh, how did the, so it, going into those moments, I can imagine, you know, I know how the end result kind of uh, panned out, which is incredible. But before that, were like, what were the dominant emotions? Was it, was it, you're legitimately <laughs> like really curious or was fear, you know, uh, higher on the, on the emotion scale? Like, how did yeah, you, I mean, I was fucking terrified. Yeah, I was fucking <laughs> terrified for sure. Yeah, I was, I mean, for many yeah. reasons, I was like, what the fuck? I'm living out of my car, like, and I'm like in my 30s, like, what am I doing right now? You know, I was, there was a little bit of that, but there's also like the fear that was instilled into me by the media and even my peers, you know, who are like, yeah. are you going to bring a knife? Like, I literally had a friend that asked me if I was bringing a knife or pepper spray because they thought that, you know, they were really worried for my safety going yeah. to, a church or going to a Trump rally. And mind you, these are places where like a mass, like a many, many Americans go to like identify with, right? Like Christianity and like, you know, Trump or, you know, that part of the Republican Party, right? Like these are, these aren't small sort of like areas of, of, of participation. Like many, many people participate in them. So to think that like now looking back, I'm like, wow, like I can't believe that I was coming from a place of stereotypes and caricatures where I thought like, maybe I should entertain that idea of like, yeah, you know, like yeah. having a weapon, you know, but <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm really <laughs> glad I didn't do that. Um, but I did have that fear. I was like, oh my gosh, are they right? Like, am I going to get hurt? Like, it, like, do I need to have like, do I need to take a self-defense class before I leave? Like, I don't know. Um, and then also the fear of just, honestly, like this is a little more unconscious. I had to unpack this like over therapy, but you know, just the fear of, oh my gosh, what if I like, find things out that actually change the way that I feel and see these, the, you know, the, the quote unquote, these people, right? Like what if mm. I actually humanize them and I agree with them and I like actually like have like similarities <laughs> with them. Like when I, when I was like the person that was on, you know, social media being like, I cannot believe this group of people, you know, like yeah. what would that mean for me and my, sense of centeredness on my identity like do i actually oh, know who scary. i am so that was so scary too you know <laughs> so yeah fear was was like definitely a big part of it um and, but fortunately you know what i would later learn is that when we fear things or when we're very anxious curiosity can actually reduce those feelings of fear and anxiety so take big fear uh, fear of death. A lot of people fear death. You know, that's a big yeah. natural thing to be afraid of. It's the big unknown. Um, so when folks are having end of life anxiety because they're dying, what palliative care physicians and nurses and end of life doulas will do um, is they'll actually create a space of curiosity. They'll actually, you know, ask questions to that person like, you know, what is the life you've lived and who are the people that are meaningful to you? And, um, you know, what do you want what you what is your legacy going to be and and how do you want to die with dignity like these questions of curiosity mm -hmm. um, allow them to explore and confront the thing that they are afraid of or that is making them anxious and almost like in this paradoxical way it actually reduces the anxiety and the fear that they have about death because they're actively openly exploring it because curiosity a is just a enjoyable process we know it releases dopamine in the brain when we are curious from the research. 
But two, it's also a different mindset and way of sort of leading in your heart. It's one of like actively moving towards and it's really um, sort of enthusiastic and it's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, that's why like people always like denote curiosity with like the childlike wonder, you, even though we know from the research that older adults are actually more curious than children, which I could talk about later. But, um, you know, I think that it has this quality to it that it makes sense that it would reduce sort of anxiety and, and, and fear. And when you look at also exposure therapy too, you like are afraid of snakes, you know, like desert has a bunch of snakes. Well, the more I got into contact with them and I would meet like this woman, Danny, who literally wrangled rattlesnakes and holds them with her hands. So it's just like, wow, like, I guess, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, don't do that. Like respect snakes and they're like, you know, and they're, yeah, you know, and don't you know, die. Their habitats. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like, she is a professional, like she, she is a professional snake wrangler. I can't believe that's even like a thing you can do, but she is. Um, but the more that you get into contact with them, you know, the mm. less and less afraid you are, right? That's why in, you know, exposure therapy, you like look at a photo of a snake, you think of a snake in your mind, you see a snake, maybe you hold a non-venomous snake in your hands and you realize, oh my gosh, like, where did this fear come from? Like, why did I yeah. start to feel so afraid of snakes? Who told me to be afraid of snakes? What stories did I read or were read to me <laughs> that made me afraid of snakes when snakes are so incredibly important for our ecosystems, when snakes are just trying to live their lives, when you look at mythologies and history, snakes have been a core part of many religions and many societies in a good way um, and represents reinvention and fertility and all these other wonderful things. Like, where did I learn to hate and fear snakes? And the same happens with the other other groups of yeah. people. Like, we learn these stories and we're like, we're never in contact with them. So we're like, oh my God, no, I fear them. I'm afraid of that. I don't want to yeah. go near that. When I think it's just there are a couple of points, like on the, on on ask, I, I guess the way how how can I phrase this? Like if I'm thinking of the end of life and whatnot, mm-hmm. like you're asking questions. It's just you're you're changing the questions because you're right. people are asking questions related to like, well, what's going to happen next, or like right. in a in a different, um, I get from a different perspective that is you know, producing this, this fear. Whereas if you can start changing up the questions or flipping the perspective to your point and being a little bit more curious about, well, I mean, maybe it's really like, I don't know what's going to happen over there, but maybe it's really cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like let's go on an adventure there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think of, of just, there's so much heaviness and so much going on in the world right now. And I mean, you use the example of, you know, uh, the, like the Trump era and whatnot, but I, I personally felt, I mean, I'm in Canada, so we, we, I mean, it still crossed over, obviously, because it was a pretty big deal. Um, but I felt a lot of that during like the pandemic, uh, you know, and uh-huh. just catching my, myself like, yeah. oh, wow, I don't like, I thought I knew that person, you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, well, wait a second, like, let's ask some better questions here. And, yeah. and it's, I feel like the same, almost different circumstances, but there's the same really strong divide is happening right now, like present time with the, with the wars that are happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just, it's so sad Mm -hmm. because like, we're like, I think, I feel like we forget that we're, we're, we're humans and we're like, we're all people with the same emotions and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So how have yep. you, like, even in, in present day, like just with everything going on and to your point, I think to your point earlier, you know, we come in, we get these narratives, especially from the media and, and so forth. And 
it just continues, continues yeah. to just like fuel our mind with um, the opposite of positive mental nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great point that, you know, curiosity and in curiosity, which is when we turn away from each other, when we refuse mm. to want to see the story or the person that is in front of us, you know, happens beyond just politics. It's like an easy entryway, but, you know, I think you're talking about like, you know, the vaccine sort of controversies yeah. and, you know, there's also just, but even the ways in which different people wanted to move through the world in the early days of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, of course, the geopolitical crisis is like, I'm sure you're talking about what's happening in Israel, Palestine and, and yeah. sort of this, this immense, you know, crisis of humanity right now there. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about this insight in the book that I learned through a trauma-informed therapist, Kevin Becker, which is that there are a couple of speed bumps to curiosity that sort of get in our way that we just need to be mindful of and not just like fly over, you know? Um, one is fear, which we've talked about, but the other is trauma. And, you know, trauma is a big part of what holds people back from being able to access curiosity because you need to heal first. You need to be mm -hmm. able to work through the pain, the anger, the grief, the despair in a way that makes sense for you and your healing journey before you can re-access curiosity. But Kevin also said that, again, paradoxically, when he's working with clients, curiosity is a barometer of healing. So, so that means that when you start to become curious, that is actually when you're doing the big work of, of healing. And so, yeah. you know, you have to, you know, heal often through with professional support in many of these crises. I mean, you're talking about, you know, with the pandemic, I mean, you're talking about people losing loved ones, you know, or facing their own sort of health complications with long COVID, you know, with geopolitical crises, you're talking about, you know, you know, decades, millennia of like historical context of intergenerational trauma, um, losing homes, losing lives. It's, it's just, these are really you know, it, it's, it's, you know, and I, I'm really clear about this in the book. It's not just like, be more curious, you know, like whatever yeah. the fuck that means. It's yeah. like, it's like, it's actually, we have to first heal through this, this trauma that we've gone through, you know, together in order to start, you know, being curious and extend and sharing our stories. And, and you're in Canada. A good example of this is, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which I, you know, wrote mm -hmm. about in the book um, that was led by Marie Sin Sinclair. And I talked to Ryan Moran, who is, Red River's Métis, and he led the survivor statement storytelling, basically, of the, um, of the, uh, what happened in the residential school system. So if you were First Nations, Inuit, uh, Métis, you went through these horrific school systems, which I won't like go into the details of because that could potentially re-traumatize or recursely traumatize people. But, you know, you can look that up if you are unfamiliar with it. It was just devastating though to the yeah. indigenous community in Canada. And they found a trauma-informed way to tell those stories um, to the public, especially to non-Indigenous Canadians through this process, through, you know, hotel conference rooms and schools and community, you know, events at parks where you as a non-Indigenous Canadian would sit down and you would listen to these stories of what happened. And this is recent history. Like the last residential school system closed in, in, in the 90s. This is like very recent. Yeah. Um, and by actually giving the opportunity to yourself to sit in that discomfort and to really hear and be curious to the experiences, the difficult and challenging experiences that many of your Indigenous neighbors had gone through, 
you know, it really does open your eyes and your heart um, to want to work towards, you know, repair and reconciliation and, you know, to create a better future where that never fucking happens again, because that should never happen. Like that is just dehumanization 101. Like we can never devalue people like that ever. And unfortunately, you know, it's happening in many different crises around the world. And so a big part of that is extending curiosity, right? And the direction of the curiosity matters. It wasn't like indigenous people, not indigenous people, let's come together in a room and everyone shares their stories. No, in this moment, what was really important was that you as a non-indigenous Canadian were the ones being curious about the stories and the real experience of people who went through residential school. So the direction of curiosity matters. It's like when you're charging a battery in a car, you like have to make sure you know, those clamps are on the right way. Um, so yeah, the same is true for curiosity, like the direction of the flow matters. So important. And it's just, I can see it. Like I, I'm recording a, a demystifying psychedelics uh, original series, a podcast yeah. series right now. And the more, and I'm co-hosting this, uh, I'm the naive guy in this space and mm. fairly, you know, I've gone through a couple experiences, but my co-host <laughs> is like, has studied with the tribes all mm. around the world. And you know, we're really approaching this um, topic from a from a place of respect and understanding of like literally in some cases thousands of years of, mm-hmm. of ritual and tradition that has uh, been passed down and not is not really talked about in you know the Western world for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think like what I'm learning is just how few cultures there are that you have an unbroken chain of ritual and wisdom that's passed down. And, you know, you're using obviously the example uh, in the indigenous uh, cultures over here, which is a terrible situation that happened, but I just, you see it happen in, in different areas mm-hmm. in Europe and all around the world, right? And it's just, I think, there's no wonder we have such a huge mental health pandemic out there is what, like kind of how I describe, because there's so much unresolved trauma that you know we have no idea with like from our ancestors that i feel like if we we just took some you know took a little bit of curiosity and tried to learn like you just start where you live now and like what you know what what happened here where did where did you come from and and all of that and instead of jumping to a reactionary you know message on social media Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just even not just your ancestors, which is an important place to explore, but even just in your own life as a child, I mean, getting, you know, inwardly curious and really reflecting on your experiences growing up. I mean, that's what I love about the Enneagrams because I really think it speaks to, you know, the environments in which you grew up in. Well, my understanding of it, I mean, I don't know enough about it. I'm learning more and more every day. Um, But, you know, I think the exploration of, you know, you know, how was I, my trust broken as a child, if, Mm. if that did happen? Um, you know, where did I see breakages in love, you know, when, you know, my parents like yelled at each other, got, you know, into screen matches or went, you know, got into a divorce. Um, you know, how did I experience abandonment, um, betrayal from my loved ones, from my peers? Um, you know, and these are really formative years of our lives, you know? So, we're going to carry that with us into our adulthood. You know, I, my dad went to prison when I was what, 11. And I'm like, you know, still decades later, still like grappling with what that means for me, for him, for our family. Um, so I think that, you know, we really have to be curious, not just towards other people, 
but but really look inward and say, you know, what happened to me? Like, what? How was I hurt? Truly, how was I hurt? And how do I, you know, start the journey of of acknowledging that that hurt happened? And how do I also just be present with it before mm-hmm. immediately jumping in to try to fix it or heal it? And then, you know, what do I do with that? What do I do with this experience and these stories that I have? And, you know, sometimes that means like working with some, someone who has an education, whether formal or informal, uh, like a therapist um, who can help support you on that journey. Uh, maybe it's like doing a men's group or, you know, going mm-hmm. out and, you know, having a psychedelic assisted therapy session, like whatever, you know, it is for you. It's different for everyone. There's no one perfect thing that everyone should do. I'm very opposed to that as a curious person, but it's about finding out for you, like, how do you just like, again, live and love those questions, right? And, And just explore what happened to you, acknowledging that that happened and what that means for you moving forward, you know? So, um, yeah, I just could, I, I think just, you know, that's a great place to start too. If you're like ancestors, like, I don't know how to even think about intergenerational trauma. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, well, you reflect back on your own experiences growing up, start there. And maybe yeah, that smaller. will show you. Yeah. That will show you. I mean, that's pretty big, you know, it's not really, it's, it's smaller, yeah, but, but I mean, you know, like, still pretty big, you know, like, to <laughs> like explore, but, but, um, you know, but, you know, but, you know, that, that is definitely a place to start. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What question changed your life? Hmm. Oh my God. So many, I'm like, how do I choose? Ah, um, I think a big one. Oh man, there's so many, uh, okay. I'm just going to pick one that's coming to my mind. What's coming to my, my heart right now. Um, I think the big one is how am I going to show up for myself, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in moments of transitions, because I was a culture in in a world where I sit down in a chair and I watch a wedding ceremony and we see the couple that's getting married express vows to the other person, you know, Mm. but never really to themselves, you know, like how am I going to show up and love myself in this journey? you know, of getting married. And me too. I mean, I've seen that in my my mom and like many people I love. Everyone's such caring and giving people. It's always about being in service of yeah. other people. Um, but I don't think we as much talked about like how do I show up for myself in this, in this hard and challenging moment? Maybe we introspected on it, but we never like vocalize it or verbalize it as much. And so that meant that I was growing up not seeing that as something that was valued or important or something that I was even used to, you know, like thinking about, right? And so I think when someone sort of turned my attention away from un- the other folks and and turned it towards me and said, wow, you're going through this really challenging transition moment right now. Um, maybe, you know, you're moving or you're going through heartbreak or you know, you, you experienced the loss of your grandmother who I like love so deeply. Um, you know, in those moments, how do I show up for myself? Right. Yeah. Not just how do I show up for my mom, you know, my grandma's daughter, not only, you know, how do I, you know, show up to the legacy of my grandma, those things are important, but also how do I show up for myself in those moments? So I think that is such a beautiful question to ask ourselves. And I also do that as an officiant too. Like I like marry people 
you know, and I love doing it. It's like one of my favorite things to do, you know? I've done it once and it's so fun. (laughs) It's the biggest honor of my life, truly. I really just, I mean, it is the biggest honor of my life to be able to stand there in front of these loving, beautiful beings and like hold a container and a space for them to deepen and drop into love in the presence of community often. Um, and, And, you know, for me, I always like to remind folks don't just write a vow to your partner, you know, your, your future spouse, you know, or partner, you know, just, um, also write a vow to yourself. And so they'll go yeah. off in like their little quarters, like, you know, months before the wedding or whatever, or the ceremony. And like, how am I going to show up to myself? It's like, Scott, this is hard. I don't know how to do this. Like, why am I going to show up to it? What did other people write? You know, but doing that sort of getting curious and reflecting on that question, um, is, is going to serve you in, in oh, the yeah. relationship, you know? And it, it, you know, it could be applied in so many different situations as well. There's, you know, how do I want to show up for myself? How do you want to show up for yourself? And how are we going to show up together? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's, that's powerful. I, I, I can't help but think, you know, you're, by the time this releases, a couple days after the release of this show, um, you're going to be experiencing a pretty cool event. Your uh, Seek is going to publish the famous uh, pub week that everyone always talks about. And, yes, you know, right. I, I know that, uh, having read the book an advanced copy, people are going to really love it. And, you know, you're, you're going to, I, I project, you're going to co- go down a, an emotional roller coaster of mm. probably a lot of gratitude and like mm. excitement and wonder and, and all of that stuff. So I, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, like, how do you want to show up for yourself during the publication mm. of this big oh, event in your life. Thank you so much. That's so nice to ask that um, as a reflection of of the question we just talked about. Um, yeah, and I've already felt those things, truly. I mean, I feel so already, you know, um, at the time of recording, I was like, we're weeks away, but I still feel, I already feel so grateful. You know, I've had so many like emotional moments where I'm like, you know, just, I can't believe what, you know, like so many friends and family and loved ones are like coming to show up for this, you know, moment in my life. Like I was just talking to my sister, like she's flying up with her partner to New York. My partner is flying up to New York. Like with this, it feels like such a, you know, it feels like a wedding. <laughs> so it's, I guess you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. a, cel- a celebration of love and to do it in front of the people that I love. Wow. So, so freaking beautiful. Um, I also feel just immense uh, gratitude and all towards myself too. Um, you know, again, I acknowledge that like this incredible team has supported me on this journey. And also, you know, this book would not have happened. Like if I hadn't just like really focused in and like been really vulnerable and just like shared all the things that I did in the book. So I'm, I'm feeling so proud of myself. Um, I'm, I'm like, the book's funny and it's like, ridiculous but also like meaningful and you know has research but it's also like stories that are like you know like of like millennials living in convents with you know a group of nuns and a wild and firefighter montana and you know pacific islander voyagers who are on the hokulea like all of these you know i wanted a book that sort of encompassed all the parts of me and i really feel like i did that with seek and so Mm. i'm so proud of myself and i feel just open. I, you know, I, a lot of people are asking me, so like, so what are you going to do after this? Like, what's next? Like, where, how are you going to build on this book? Like, what's the platform? you're gonna, And I'm like, 
my agent, Jackie, who I love, she's like a friend. I, I don't know. I call her agent and she is that, but she's also like just a friend, you know? <laughs> sure. And she's like, notice everything, you know, just like you would tell someone who's getting married to notice everything, you know, just like yeah. be present to this experience right now because you only get it once. And so, so true. just like, you know, whether it's writing a book or like for those listening in, it might be, you know, something else like you know, maybe you're moving into your first home that you purchase or you're welcoming your new first child into your life or your, you know, whatever that experience is that is, is big and challenging and scary, but gratifying and like drops you into the depths of love, you know, to, to really just notice everything. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm just staying completely curious and open and I'm so excited. I mean, I'm really excited about, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm loving the shirty right now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, and you, you know, you deserve to feel open and present during the experience because you put in a hell of a lot of work along yeah. with the team, of course, yeah. to essentially birth this project. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's kind of what it is. It's a big, you know, it's a big undertaking and it takes a lot of mental power to write any kind of book is, is kind of my insight having gone through the process. Yeah. So I've got yeah. a whole other respect for people that even, you know, attempt, even if it's not published and you just, you're writing a draft of something or mm-hmm. a first draft, like it takes a lot. Totally. Uh, more than I think what people uh, would imagine. So to come out the other side of that and, you know, have something you know, physical that, that you can hold and that has a cover and has, you know, your ideas inside um, I think you deserve all the feels that go with that and just oh, soak it up. You. How are you, so. Mark, showing up for yourself right now in this moment that you're living in right now? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, ironically, I'm showing up in the same way that I set, which was a different thing for me, but the same intention I set when, when personal Socrates was about to publish. Really? And the, 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 the answer to that is just, as present as possible because before that I had been down this other journey with this journaling app that, you know, hit all the numbers. Like we reached a lot of people with that thing and hit all the apps. We love lists and new apps of the day and reach 90 million people. Like it was crazy. And you know, it it financially didn't work. And there's that, that's a whole other story. Of course it's in the book. Yeah, but what like what I what I learned from that or what I came out of that experience with was that I got real hung up and and mm-hmm. myself and my my brother in law and the team we got real hung up on these lists and these numbers mm-hmm. and so forth. So when the book was about to publish, of course I'd love to hit bestseller lists and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to I didn't want it to publish and me go into interviews of like kind of like what you and I are doing right now yeah. and not be present and just. Yeah like soak up these moments of connection and meeting all of these incredible people and, and just seeing what happens and being clear and present enough to then be able to see, oh, well, that's the path to go down I love that. I love that. Because there's a lot of other shiny things that come up and as you're probably experiencing, well, okay, well, you need to do this now and do that. And maybe, maybe some of those things are the right path, but if you could be present and just just clear things out and just feel it, then all of a sudden, like there it is, right? I, yeah, I love that giving yourself presence because then I also think about the people around you. I think about your two children. I think about your partner. I think about like your friends, like and how that extension of your presence, what that means for them, because you can truly be present with them as well. 
and what that, you know, gives to them, you know, which is, 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 it's irreplaceable. You can't put, you can't put a number or a value on that. That is just like to have your father, your partner, you know, extend that presence to you is that's just like, I mean, to me is like the, one of the most beautiful things you can do in a life. And so, um, and, and to stay, you know, really curious, obviously, because you're such a curious person. So yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's just a, it's a good reminder for me too, to, you know, you know, well, cause it's easy, it's easy to get too. caught up in a lot yeah. of the stuff that's going on, but I just, I'm almost, you know, I can feel the water forming in my eyes. Cause I remember the day of mm. it went out and it was, I was in a good way, like an emotional wreck. I was just, my wife would come in the, my office in the room and like, are you okay? Cause I was just yeah, like yeah. uncontrollably just basically crying the, the, yeah. the whole morning because of all of the support. Yeah, totally. Uh, people re- like resharing things and you'll see obviously the podcasts are all going to come out and you're like, holy smokes, like people care, you know, yeah. and like, and, yeah. and are there and, and it's that feeling of love yeah, um, that makes it, you know, you know, all worth it. And then you know that people are, you know, being affected by your words in some capacity. So, so now yeah. I just try to try to live like that as much as possible. And, yeah. and the question that's been helping uh, around this is just like what people or projects are coming naturally in flow versus the ones that I, I tend that. to be forcing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying, I'm not trying to like completely cut out the forced things, but just being present of them and and noticing and just, just by doing that slowly, like redirecting energy and yeah, totally. all of a sudden, right? Like even the stuff that you and I started talking about before hitting record, there's so much overlap um, and you know, it was your publicist that reached out, you know, and yeah, I'm like, of yeah. course, yeah, we have to, we have to have this conversation, but mm-hmm. who knows where that's going to go next. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's exciting stuff. Yeah. And I think about water, you know, again, going back to the whole desert and the presence yeah. of water and just how it naturally sort of finds its contours and finds its channels in a way that's so graceful. And, uh, it reminds me of like, ballet or contemporary dancing or something like Mm. that it's not sort of forceful and rigid and and, you know we are you know so much of we are we are water and in many ways be and and when we sort of allow that ease and that natural ability for things to happen and we stay present to it um instead of trying to force or fix things all the time which can be sometimes a fire inside of us which is great um to you know, but we just learn when to step in, you know, with these different parts of us um, and learn to love all the parts of us. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so beautiful to, to sort of, to, to watch yourself do, you know, and it probably feels a lot, I feel it's probably just as refreshing as it does to like jump into like a body of like perfect temperature water, you know, it's just like, ha, you know, like, that. And, like, I think when we just kind of can let go and just, you know, let projects, let people let those conversations unfurl as they naturally should versus being like, I have this thing that I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. It's not happening. And there's that resistance and that anxiety. It doesn't feel great, you know, and that's the no. kind of bad discomfort. You know, that's the, you know, a lot of discomfort is good and it's growth, but there's sometimes like discomfort you just want to like avoid. <laughs> like That's just like, you know, yeah. that's like not serving you or the people around you. Um, so yeah, that's beautiful. Just to, just to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it just, and it takes constant reminders, right? Cause yeah. we're, we're surrounded by the opposite all the time. Like we're surrounded yeah. by the big boulders in the river and we're heading straight for them versus slight shift and kind of just flow around. Right. Like yeah. we're all going that way, but 
So definitely, but I think that's where the questions help yeah. and just taking time to still the mind and so forth. And I'm not so, trying to, yeah, like, I literally, I mean, you can't hear folks listening in, you know, sure. you can't see this, but I have like a fire tattoo on my body, oh, you know what I mean? Like, which I'm showing yeah. Mark right now. Like, I am not hating on the fire. The fire is beautiful. You know, I grew up in Hawaii. Hawaii was formed by fire, by volcanoes, um, hot spots, you know, and, and it seemed it, you know, it is a destructive force, but when it lands in the water, right, mm. that is what extends and creates so new land that we can all be on that my, you know, generations that came before me and the communities I grew up in, like we are thankful for that. You know, the, there's obviously the goddess Pele that's, you know, in Hawaiian culture. And then there's also in other many cultures, you know, there's this recognition of fire. And and I actually wrote about fire in the book too, a wild then firefighter in, in um, Montana. And she says, you know, it's not fighting fire. I've learned to love the fire that that again, it goes back to the thing we're talking about with snakes or Trump voters or, you know, people who are on different sides of us in a geopolitical crisis. It, it's so we learn, you know, we learn to sort of distance ourselves and to be in curious and to hate, you know, mm -hmm. what we don't understand or know. And we need to, we need to push back against that and instead come from a place of curiosity. And I think what we, when we do that, that is truly an act of love. I mean, that's about, yeah. really understanding the people around us and ourselves, that is an act of love. And that's the way I want to live. That's the world I want to be in. And it's possible. Thankfully, we are all born with curiosity. It's not something that we have to like figure out how to do that was never in ourselves. Like we all have this capacity. It is a muscle. It just might be dormant. We just have yeah. to like exercise it a bit, you know? And you know, you don't have to start at a Trump rally or the opposing party rally, a Biden <laughs> rally, if that's like your whoever's listening in, you know, or wherever country you're coming from. You can start small, you know, like lift those two dumbbells. That's what I did when my partner was like bringing me to the gym, you know, and I was like yeah. working with weights for their, you know, for, you know, you know. And so I, I, I think that's, 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 that's the world. That's the life I imagine. And I hope that folks listening in just, you know, feel curious about curiosity and how to bring that into their lives. And um, I hope to hear those stories of how they did that and when it meant for them, because that's been the joy of being an author is like talking to people about how they've mm -hmm. used these practices in their lives. So, um, yeah. Well, I can't wait to see, you know, where the journey unfolds and, and also the, you know, the, the, the more general public response to, yeah. uh, the book. My last question for you is, is, is related to the book and it's just when people finish going through it, and they're holding it in their hands or if they're listening to it or Kindle or whatever it is, how do you want people to feel? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I want people to feel... I want people to feel seen. I want people to feel that they matter. I want people to feel that they matter, that they have also this capacity inside to also help others to feel like they matter mm. too. So I think if folks can walk away feeling like this sense of like belonging, like they're a part of something, yeah. you know, that, that is in the pursuit of love and, and sort of healing and, and bringing us back together again versus further dividing us apart. Like that's a win and that doesn't have to be like this big societal way. Like it can just be like, Ooh, like 
I should probably call my ex, you know, just like, you know, repair that thing. Or I should have that hard convo with my teenager. Or I should, you know, kind of like have that that conversation with my colleague, you know, um, or my neighbor, you know, I think mm-hmm. that if, if, if it inspires someone to just, or with myself, I need to go out and have that conversation with myself. If it can do that. Oh my God. I mean, that would just be, yeah, the greatest. I mean, I would just, I don't even know what I would do, honestly. Like if that, that happens, like, I don't know what I would do. So that would, that's like my dream. Oh my God. That would be a dream if someone read the book and, and that's what, they felt like what? That's so cool. Um, yeah. So that's what I hope hope that they beautiful. That. Well, yeah. I mean, I for one am, am grateful you are on this planet and putting you know a lot of energy and attention to this topic, and you know are asking yourself the big questions to be able to produce this kind of this work that has the ripple effect to really you know help a lot of people uh, and a lot. I think. I think the more individually we ask these questions, the less the less chances that we we get ourselves into these crazy scenarios around the world. Absolutely. So I'm 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 really grateful that you're out there doing this, and it's uh, it's an honor to meet you, and and thank you for your time and and the energy you put into this world. And until I feel like this is the first of many conversations, so I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm going to say until next time. Definitely. But Scott, thank you. No, I appreciate you too. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you.